Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Living Word Community Church. How are you tonight? Let's stand together. I got a question for you. Is anybody hungry? It's good. Do you guys eat already? All right. So, you know, that's good for your body, but we need to feed our spirits and feast on some spiritual food, right? So tonight we're going to spend time worshiping the Lord, which uh, a lot of these words are straight from his word. And our pastor is going to share the word, and we're going to be able to eat and continue to grow in spirit. Amen? All right. Be disciples of Jesus. Let's bow our heads and hearts. Father, we are grateful for this night, Lord. We praise you that you've given us an opportunity again to come into your presence. We know that we can only do so through Jesus' finished work on the cross, Lord. And Jesus, we do thank you. And Father, we ask for you that you would, through your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, Lord, reveal more truth to us as we sing these songs of praise and study your word and just enjoy this time sitting at your feet, Lord God. And I would just ask for a revelation of Jesus, a revelation of you, Father, and the Holy Spirit. And may we truly be more like you through this time tonight and days beyond, Lord, that we can be your hands and feet, that we can be hard at work advancing your kingdom by sharing your love and your gospel, Lord God. We just pray that there would be much fruit that would come from our effort, Lord, until we see you face to face, God. We want to fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, set our hearts where you are. And we just rest in you this night, in Jesus' name. Amen. Power in the blood, power in the blood. 
claim to the Lord tonight. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords.
measureless and strong. Enduring forever until we see you, Lord.
Let's pray together. Breathe on us, O Lord God. Breathe on us the breath of God on this night. Renew us, Lord God, in life anew. That we may, Lord God, love the things you love and do the things you do. I pray, Lord God, that you'd renew us tonight in your word. You'd renew us, Lord God, in worship. You'd renew us in prayer. And Holy Spirit, just come and give us that fresh, that fresh breath of God upon our lives, upon our souls, upon our bodies. And Lord God, may we leave here, Lord, in the newness of life, newer than we came in. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray this. Amen. God bless you all. Hey, Len, I wanted to tell you, you didn't have, you know, Tito's away on vacation, but, you know, you have, you have your team here. But I just want to say this. How many nights when it was just you and me? And you just led us in worship, man. And it was unbelievable. Because it's not state of the art. It's state of the heart. You know, I was in, I think, a, a lesson I learned. I was a cat. Well, I went out on the West Coast and I visited, I visited, a, you know, the, the mega churches. West Coast is filled with mega churches. So I was at Jack, Jack Hayford's church, which was a, was a great, you know, great church. We went to a number, a number of other churches. Uh, I went to the, the Crystal Cathedral at the time, Robert Shula. Uh, that, was a, that was an experience. And, um, but then I went to Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, and Terry Clark led worship. Terry, who's come here and, you know, and, and led us in worship nights. And uh, there, was no, there was no band, there were no singers, it was just Terry uh, in, and his piano on this massive stage. I mean, you could have put an orchestra there. And that was the most powerful worship that I experienced over the course of that week. And um, again, it's, it's, it's where your heart's at. And that man, you know, before I came back here and I said, what, what, Len, you know, Len was here and you know, we didn't have a big team and he was doing the same thing. You know, he came here and he led us into the presence of God. You know, it's the, same, it's the same way with preaching. Let me just say this to you. You get used, you get used to a preacher. And I appreciate, I appreciate your appreciation. But let me say this. The Word of God is the Word of God. And some of the greatest messages I've ever heard were given not by seasoned you know, orators, you know, who had been you know, very good at, at, at expounding on the Word. So the Word of God is the Word of God. And I think that is why, you know, well, if I was living in the time of Jesus and I had a chance to sit in front of Paul, well, you have the chance in the Bible to sit right at the feet of Paul and hear the Word of God. So um, I'm going to share with you tonight, it's, uh, you know, staying, again, staying in the book of Numbers, uh, but I want to share with you the need to feed. That's the title of the message, The Need to Feed. And I'm going to first, I'm going to bring you to Exodus chapter 16, verse 32 through 35. Stand with me for the reading of the word. So I'm going to take you back to Exodus. And it says, Moses says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. And as the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. And the Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to the land, to a land 
that was settled, they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. The need to feed. We're going to talk about manna tonight. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord God, open up our hearts and minds to this, Lord God, this, Lord, unraveling revelation that we see, Lord, all the way from the book of Exodus right to the book of the Revelation. And I pray, Lord God, give us ears to hear, give us, Lord God, eyes to see, and give us a heart, Lord God, to look deeply into your word. For, Father God, you've got some good things for us tonight. I know that. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So he he says here, the instruction of God to Moses, put a jar of manna where essentially the Ten Commandments, okay, would be, and ultimately that would be within the Ark of the Covenant. So we, we know that if I take you to Hebrews chapter 9, 4, it says, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid with all sides with gold, in which were, he's talking here again, again about the Ark, the golden pot that had the manna in it, uh, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. So within, again, the Ark of the Covenant, you have these three things. Why? Why did God instruct them to do that? Well, what, what, what do all three of them represent? And what you see is they're reminders. And they're reminders of Israel's sin. Their rebellion against, uh, and really the rebellion and resisting of, you know, against God's law, the Ten Commandments. It is rebellion and resistance against the appointed authority, which is Moses and Aaron, the, uh, again, we'll look at this next week, the uh, staff of Aaron that budded. And then it is rebellion and resistance against God's provision, which was the manna. So when you, when you look at the ark, the inside of the ark represents man's sin. Above the ark, you have the two cherubim, the very presence, the holy presence of Almighty God. Even in the book of the Revelation, you know, the tabernacle was a, essentially, it was a prototype of a tabernacle in heaven. You get into the book of Hebrews, you, you know, you see that. And in heaven it even says that God, his throne is between the cherubim. So two mighty, probably great and mighty cherubim stand to the left and the right of the very throne of God. And then you have the mercy seat, which is where the blood would be sprinkled once a year on the Day of Atonement. The high priest would go in and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. So again, the picture is, below you have man's sin, above you have a holy God, and the mercy seat is the place where we are reconciled to God. The mercy seat, again, is a typology of who? Yeah, you get into Romans chapter you know, 3, verse 24 and 25, it, it, the, Jesus is the mercy seat. So again, the, the manna represents a rejection of God's provision. And again, just going back to numbers, we've been looking at this, for the, really the previous six chapters from chapter 11, uh, and actually it's, it, it's going to go on as we you know, go in further weeks to chapter 21. So the first thing, the rejection of the manna in the Old Testament. I'm going to take you back first. So in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, I'm going to read to you from the NIV here, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and the melons and those leeks and onions and garlic. 
It's again, it, it's a picture of a believer who has come to Christ, who is looking back at the world and lusting after it. Remember how good it was when you were in the world? The things you used to do? And then verse 6 it says, but now, now watch this, we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. They lost the appetite for this heavenly food, angel's food. Think about that. And as we go through, as we go through the word tonight, again, you're going to see that, that manna is a typology of what? The word of God. You see people who have lost their appetite for the word of God. I've seen that. And by the way, that's, that is a very dangerous place. You know, people come, you know, come to the church, and whether they accept the Lord or not, I don't know. Uh, but you see them, and they're here, and then all of a sudden, you see that they're, they're losing their appetite for the Word of God. They're not in the Word at home. They're not reading the Word. They're not studying it. They're not meditating on it. They're not memorizing it. And then you see them. They, they just, they're losing their appetite right here. They don't want to hear it anymore. All of a sudden, they just, you know, they just wander off. So they, they lost their appetite for the manna. Then in chapter 21, and we'll get there in the next few weeks, Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 through 6, it says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And our soul, watch this, loathes this worthless bread. And so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. The word, the word loathe, the word, the word is, is quits, and it, it speaks about disgust. We, we are disgusted at this disgusting manna that you have been given to us. And you see why God, in his, in his anger, in his wrath, he sends the fiery serpents that bit and killed a, a number of them. But that's just, they lost their appetite for the manna. And then, the manna is something they are loathing. You know, you're not living with God. You're not walking with God. You're, walk, you're walking in opposition to God. Let me tell you, when the word of God comes to you, you're going you're gonna to loathe it. You don't want to hear it because it's, it, it's convicting. It's convicting. Even people who, who just despise the word of God. You see this in our world right now. I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw there was a, a preacher preaching at one of these um, crazy, uh, you know, these, I, I don't even, what, what do you call them? These like people who dress up in, in drag and, and they do obscene things and they do obscene things with, with one of them on the cross. And there was a guy, he, was, he, he went into the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's preaching to them. And they're spitting on him and they're mocking him. And I mean, he's just, just but I, I would not do that. I'll just tell you right now. Because if I went there, um, either they would kill me or I would be in jail for killing a number of them. I'm serious. I, I just got, I know where God would want me to be and where he wouldn't want me to be. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm saying, man, you gotta, you got to have some kind of amazing patience to be sitting there surrounded by these sodomites. Who, I mean, just, this is Sodom and Gomorrah and what, what, you know, what, you know, what they were doing. But they, he's preaching the word, the word to them. He's calling them to repentance and they hate it. They despise it. 
they loathe it. It's scary when you see that happen with somebody who's been around the church. All right, number two, the rejection of manna in the new. So I'm going to take you to John chapter 6. And um, in John 6, Jesus, he basically, he, he is being followed by these multitudes of people. Multitudes, thousands and thousands of people. And um, they're looking for a miracle. So they're really not wanting to hear the word. They are looking for a sign or a wonder. And they're, again, there, and Jesus feeds the multitude. Feeds thousands, I mean, thousands of people. And um, then they're following him. Again, they want more bread. And he turns to them, and this is in John chapter... um, I'm coming back here for a second. This is in John 6, 32-33. Then Jesus said to them, Most surely I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who is the manna? The manna is Jesus. Right, he goes on, and I'm just going to focus on a few passages here. John chapter 6, 48-51 Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. What is he talking about? So... This has been taken by some to be referring to the Lord's Supper. The problem is the Lord's Supper wasn't instituted yet, and actually wouldn't be instituted for a year or so. So what you have is, like in Roman Catholicism, you have what is called transubstantiation. So the the Mass in Roman Catholicism is actually a re-sacrifice of Christ. You know, it says in the book of Hebrews, he was sacrificed once and for all, He's not to be sacrificed again, but it is a, a, a re-sacrifice. And the belief in the Roman Catholic Church is that when you are receiving the you know, communion bread, the host, or, or drinking of the, of the wine, that it is actually transformed into the very body and blood of Christ. And that is called transubstantiation. You get into consubstantiation in, in some, you know, some other groups. But again, the, the problem is, I mean, what is the best interpreter of Scripture? So you will dig into scripture, and a lot of times, let me just say this to you, in the word of God, most of the time, the meaning can be found, a simple meaning can be found in what we call the immediate context. That's, that's the very chapter that you're in. There, there are times when you have to broaden, okay, the context, and then we go out to what we, you know, from the immediate to what we call the remote context. You, you, may, have, you may have to search the entire scripture, to get the meaning. That's why, you, again, you frequently see when I'm, when I'm preaching, I'm, pull, I'm pulling from verses all, all throughout uh, the Bible. So again, you, here is a very simple meaning, simple interpretation, and it's found right in John. He, he is saying, right, that he is the manna, and you, you, must, you must eat my body, okay? You must eat my body to receive this life. So you go to the end of the chapter in John chapter 6, verse 61 through 63, and here it's explained. 
So he says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Now watch, look at verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. He, he, is, he, he was using figurative language. You must, you know, eat my body, you must drink my blood. And what he's, what he's now here, he is explaining, and he's, he's really expounding on this, uh, you know, on this explanation. It is the spirit who is the one who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. He says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. What is the manna, right? What is the manna? It, it is the word of God. The very words of Jesus. Now watch, watch, watch where it ends up in John chapter 6, and it's interesting. John 6, 6, 6, and then verse 6, 9. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. By the way, that's, that is something, because we think, wait, you know, you become a, a Christian, and then, you know, you go deeper and you become a disciple, these people, they were disciples. They weren't saved. They weren't in the saving. They, they, were, they were essentially learning from him, but they hadn't made that commitment to truly be followers of Jesus Christ. So it, it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Now watch what, what Peter says. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go, Lord? Because you're the one we have to eat your flesh and drink your blood. Right? What did he say? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus and his words, again, he is the fulfillment. The Bible, the word of God, is the fulfillment of the manna of the Old Testament. And even, again, in Jesus' day, as he walked the earth, there was the rejection of the manna. Him and his word. Now look, one point here, one more point about rejection. The rejection of the manna today. So in, in, in first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 4, talking about a future day, it says, for the time will come, when they will not endure sound doctrine. What is, what is sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is, is the scriptures. From Genesis to the Revelation, they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth, right? Sound doctrine, again, is truth. His word is truth. And be turned uh, aside to fables. So there, there will come a time, the Lord, by the way, I, I, I don't believe this was just merely talking about the last days. This happened fairly early in, in the church age, where people began to turn away from the scriptures and from sound doctrine to uh, all sorts of, of, of cults, uh, the Judaizers, Judaizers, that is what Galatians was essentially written to refute. Colossians, it was refuted, uh, written to refute Gnosticism. And, um, but it just, again, today, in, in the time we live, much of the, of the preaching and the teaching, not all of it, there are good teachers out there, but much of the teaching 
is, is focused on selective verses that entertain people, right? Selective verses that, you know, that you're not talking about sin. By the way, what I just said about that preacher, a lot of people would not even go there and touch that. They won't preach about sin. They will not preach about repentance. They will not preach about judgment. They will not preach about the wrath of God. They, they, will, not, um, they will not teach and preach about hell. And they will, they will, uh, you know, they will avoid those things. I was talking with a, a brother who I really respect, and he was sharing about his church. The pastor was going through Romans one. Romans one, you know, deals heavily with with you know with homosexuality, and condemns it as as sin. And what the preacher did was he said like he came to the verse, and he just skipped over it. And he just he said he just passed bypassed it. And he was sitting there and saying, wow, you know, just that, that, I think that is a picture, again, of basically itching people's ears. And that, that is a picture of, again, the, the rejection of manna in the time that, that we, you know, we are living in. So I want to I show you something, because this came, this came to my attention. It was brought to me here in the, in the church. In John chapter 21, verse 25. The word here says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So there were all sorts of other things that Jesus did. And somebody came to me in the church and said, well, what about those things? Like there are people, there are people in our church. Like, well, there, there, there are other things. But there are other things that Jesus did. Well, how do you know about them? How do you know about them? Because you know, you know where that's leading to? That's Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is permeating the church. And Gnosticism almost destroyed the church back in the third century. Gnosticism is, there's a, there's a esoteric or a, this, this heavenly knowledge and only certain people have it. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's above the Word of God. It's beyond the Word of God. So there were all sorts of things. This is Gnostic, the Gnostic Gospels. When Jesus was a child, he did miracles. And Jesus was one day on, uh, at the Sea of Galilee with Mary, and um, a little boy, he was making sandcastles, and this little boy came over and stomped on his sandcastles. And Jesus got angry. And he made the boy blind. And that's in the Gnostic Gospels. And these teachers teach, well, that, that's, that's the revelation. Now, how do we know that that's not true? And that never happened. Well, besides, besides something that we know Jesus wouldn't do. <laughs> well, just, just tell me, just tell me one, one verse that, 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 that tells you very early on in Jesus' ministry, that it couldn't have happened. What is it? Yeah, what was his first miracle? He was 30 years old, and he went to Cana of Galilee and turned the water into wine. That's the first miracle of Jesus. He wasn't making blind people, right, who were smashing his sandcastles. In those gospel talks about Jesus turning birds into stone and giving them to his friends. 
But that's, again, you see, that's extra-biblical revelation. We understand that Jesus did a whole lot of things during his... He raised other people from the dead, healed other people, the blind... I mean, so many other things that Jesus did. And again, I'm speculating here, but we don't know what they are. What makes you think that you know what they are? And that is, that is, that is a, a very heavy false teaching that you see, again, in churches. I want, to sh- I want to show you Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are things that, that, uh, that, that belong to God. They're mysteries. We don't understand them. We don't know them. But those things which are revealed to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. What are the things which are revealed to us? That's it. 66 books written over the course of 2,000 years by 40 different authors. There it is right here. That's it. No, no, no extra biblical, right? What, what did the Lord say? And he said this not only in the book of the Revelation in chapter 22. You find, you find it throughout the Old Testament. Anyone who adds, anyone who takes away, they will be cursed. Anithima. Cursed. We live in a time, though, where the rejection of the manna is very popular. It's very popular. Okay. Number four, the need to feed. I want to talk to you about, I want to give you some things about, again, about the the need to feed. And I'm going to share with you a couple of verses. One is is Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Martha and Mary. It says, but now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had her sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with, such, uh, with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So the first first thing I want you to see here, the one thing, priority, first things first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We need to focus. Mary is focused. She, She is intensely focused. She is removed from distraction. Now Martha, on the other hand, she is distracted outwardly and inwardly. You you, you see this in the text. She is distracted outwardly, right? She's so busy preparing the meal and doing, doing, and not a bad thing, but she is distracted by just these, these daily chores. She is also distracted inwardly. What did Jesus say? You're worried and you're troubled, inner distractions. By the way, sometimes you can eliminate the outer distractions, but then you sit down and you open the Word of God, and all of the inner distractions, all the things that are bothering you, right? Those, those anxious thoughts, those things that, that you know, consume you and you're concerned about, and all of a sudden you, you've read two chapters of the Word and you don't even know what you read. So you, you, need, you need to make it a priority and eliminate 
the distractions when you come to feed. One thing is needed. Right? Just, just sit quietly at Jesus' feet and focus free of distractions. That is essentially, again, this beautiful picture. I love this picture uh, of what Mary did. Let me ask you this. How do you eat? So, I've been very into fitness and health, obviously, for, for years. And uh, you've heard that. <laughs> and a number of years ago, I began to, to understand. So I'd look at somebody who was overweight and just, you know, be like, what's the matter with you? You're just undisciplined. You know, you're glutton. You're undis-. And I began to understand that people who are overweight, a lot of them, they have eating disorders. And there are things that are far more complex that they're going through than, than just simply say, hey, you know, go on a diet. By the way, I, I, I don't believe diets work. I, I, don't, I, I say this, and I wrote a book. I wrote a book that I used... In, in corporations and with my clients, it's called, it essentially it's called the, the Secrets to Being Thin and Staying Slim. But it, what it dealt with was it dealt with the eating disorders. But one of the things that I, that I talked about is when people sit down to eat, watch, watch somebody who is overweight, they tend to eat very fast. And I, as I began to learn some of these behavioral things, what, what I began to see, I began to instruct people with, when you eat, sit down, Put the fork into the food, put it in your mouth, then put your fork down. Taste the food. Savor the food. And then pick up your fork and, and put it in, and, and just take time to enjoy the meal, to, to, to savor it. And, you know, breathe between, between bites. Because what, what happens is people who eat slowly it gives their brain a chance to register that they have put enough food and have enough calories, micronutrients, macronutrients in themselves, where then all of a sudden the brain says you've had enough and no shut off. But when you're shoving food into your mouth so fast, you're eating so much food, and you know what? The brain doesn't register. And all of a sudden you've eaten one-third more calories than you needed to, and of course that is what is, right? It becomes, it becomes fat. But just there, that, that lesson, I bring this lesson to you because when we sit down to the Word, just relax. Don't eat emotionally. You know, people eating emotionally, they're, they're gratifying. Just sit down, enjoy the meal. Eat slowly. Savor the food, taste it. Do the same thing with the Word of God. Don't rush through the Word of God, right? You, you just take time, you know, savor it. Meditate on it. That's what, that's what you see here with Mary. Now, Luke chapter 24, verse 32 to 34. The two uh, on the road to Emmaus. We don't know. You know, one of them might have been a woman. We don't know. They usually always show them that they were men. We know one of them was a man. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us? While, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. I think that when you come to the word, and I'm speaking to you from experience, I've been in the word for 40 years, I get heartburn every time I get into the word. I get, I get understand, my heart burns. You know, you get juiced, you get excited. It's, it, it creates awe, it creates wonder, it creates passion. 
it's an exciting thing to come. And I say this to you, and my, my morning time with God is my favorite time of being in the Word, more so than when I'm studying, you know, and preparing sermons. But just to go to the Word every morning, I read, you know, five, six chapters and meditate on it, my heart burns. It is, it is a passionate, exciting experience. When Sue and I got saved, one day we were going to church on a Sunday morning, and we lived over in Bergenfield, we were going over the railroad tracks, and I'll never forget it, we are going over the railroad tracks, I looked at her, and I just looked and said, can you believe what we're doing? Just like months ago. I mean, we're going to church on Sunday morning, we're going to church Sunday night, and we're going to church on Wednesday night, and we're in Bible study during the week. And we are just so excited about going and just being able to go and hear the word of God preached. That we, we Like two little kids, we were little kids, but we were just excited for the word. That hasn't changed in 40 years. My heart still burns. When I, when I preach the word, when I study the word, and I think that's, that, that's something that we, we should have. That's a passion that we should have. It's the, it's the very revelation of God. Now watch, watch verse 33. So they rose up that very hour. It's right there. Heart was burning. They rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 of those who were with them gathered together saying, Lord, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Now watch. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. You know, we call this, we call this spillover. When you're, when you're in the word, it should be spilling over. Now, now this is real easy for me here. You know, when I'm in the word, it's, it's, you know, it's spilling over in, you know, into your lives on a Wednesday night, on a Sunday. But folks, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people during the week. Some are believers, some are not believers. Some, are, you know, aren't, aren't here from the you know, church. And the word is spilling over from me. And that is something, like it, 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 it bubbles up and it, it, it flows out of your life into the lives of other people. And that's it, you know, the road, your heart should burn. I'm saying this, if these things aren't happening, you've got to stop and ask yourself, you know, where are you at with God? Because when, when you are in the word of God, just like, again, the two on the road to Emmaus, your heart's going to burn and it's going to overflow. Okay, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When you get into the word, you know, Eastern, you know, the Eastern religious people. Hum, um, dumb. They'll talk about, I've experienced enlightenment. When you get into the word, you should get enlightened. When you get into the Word, you should be illuminated. When, when you're in the Word, you should be seeing things more clearly. The revelation that God has given you, becoming clearer and clearer. Jesus becoming clearer and clearer. Your purpose for life becoming clearer and clearer. The meaning of life becoming clearer and clearer. You, you, you will see others more clearly. The issues and the things that you're dealing with. The world around you. Life, world events. You will see them differently when you are in the Word. You will experience illumination. You will experience enlightenment. You know the, 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 the questions, the, the questions that, that, 
that really kind of haunt humanity. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? Is there life after death? Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? How shall I live? Those, those questions. Those are the questions that, should, that should, you should be coming to, to answers and illumination. You know, I, I, said, I said on Sunday, you, you look at, you know, you get philosophy and poetry, uh, psychology, uh, sociology, all the other, you know, ologies. You look at all these different things. You know, they, they have pieces. You will, you will find, you know, there's truth is truth. And you'll find little pieces to the puzzle. Folks, we have the whole puzzle here. It, it, you know, once, once somebody, they sent, me a, they sent me an email and it was like, the Bible, the missing piece to the puzzle. No, no, the Bible isn't the missing piece to the Bible. The Bible is the puzzle. It is the puzzle. And believe me, I, I, you know, I was searching for, for these answers. And again, getting, getting little bits and pieces, the Bible explained to me, again, just who I am, where I've come from, what I am, where I'm going. You know, who's up there? You know, what, it, or what is it or what, what, you know, what is he like? I mean, the, the, the answers were found in this, in this amazing book. So there should, there should be illumination and enlightenment. John chapter 8, 31 through 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When you come to the word, you should be experiencing a freedom. A freedom from sin. A freedom from guilt. A, a freedom from the penalty of sin as well as the power of sin. Being in the word, there should be a, 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 true, a true liberation. The chains are being broken. Freedom. From, from, you know, Jesus said, you know, don't worry. Don't worry, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about, you know, they're going to have a roof over your head. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. He said, he said that's what, that's what the, the Gentiles, that's what the pagans do. The pagans are always worried about stuff. But he says, not you. You know, instead, you should seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. He goes, he goes, he goes don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough stuff in it for you to focus on. Now, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And again, I think that's something that when you get into the word, that, that there's that freedom that comes, that freedom from anxiety, that freedom from fear. And that's a beautiful thing, because then we can live, we can live the day and embrace the day. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water with the word. When you come into the word, you're going to be washed. He's going to wash your conscience. He's going to wash away guilt. He will, he will wash away condemnation. He will wash away sin from, from his word. You should, you should always be, as you move from the Word of God, and I like this again, in the morning into your day, you should feel like you just got a really nice shower. You know how you feel after you're like a little dirty? And you get a, you know, you get a nice bath and a nice shower, it's refreshing? 
Well, you, 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 should, you should be experiencing that. He washes our dirty feet. And he washes away. Right? Those things that we, we, need, we need to leave behind. So again, when Jesus, right, when he washed the disciples' feet, he comes to Peter, Peter, you're not, you're not washing my feet. And Peter said, Peter, if, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part with me. So Peter says, then, Lord, give me, a full, give me a full bath. I mean, wash my head, wash my entire body. He said, Peter, you've already been bathed. He's already been forgiven of all his sins. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. Then why, why do we need to have our feet washed? Why do we have to continue to ask God to forgive us of our sins? Right, when, you, when you pray, ask, you know, Father, you know, forgive us our sins. Why do we do that? Because we get dirty as we go through the world. And you know what? That sin will actually create, it'll, it'll create a barrier between us and God. And it's, and it's not, as a true believer, it's not that you're living under condemnation of hell, but that sin that is unrepented of and unconfessed, you know, and you know this, you've experienced this. You do something, and you know it's there. And until you get with God, and you just bring that to him, and you, you ask him to forgive you of it, you confess it to him. You, you, you repent from it. Then he, he, cleanses, he cleanses you of that. Your conscience is clear. And all of a sudden, like, right, you're, just, you're just walking. You're walking in the spirit again with the Lord in fellowship with him. While before, you weren't walking real close with him. And again, that's something that should be happening with the word. Let me give, I'm going to give you one more thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2.13 it says, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Do you understand what that's saying? Why do I teach the way I teach? Why do I use scripture to expound on scripture? Why don't I just stand here and take, take one verse, as some preachers do, I'll take one verse, and then I'll tell you ten Dandy stories. I mean, I got illustration books coming out of my gazoo up in my office. And I, I just, I, I mean, I'll just use a bunch of, of fancy stories from my life, fancy stories from the illustration books. Because that's not the way the apostles preached. Now you look at the book of Acts, they use scripture to explain scripture. And you look at Hebrews. Hebrews, I'm going through Hebrews right now. Hebrews is a great example of this because the author of Hebrews, some people say it was Paul, some people Barnabas. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not really sure. But the author of Hebrews, he uses Scripture to continuously prove and basically really ground and, and solidify the points that he's making. And, and that is why when you're studying Scripture, what you're doing here is, again, you're going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. That's how the Spirit teaches us. The Spirit teaches us through the Word. And again, the more familiar you get with the Word, and this is, this is the, a, a beautiful thing, the more familiar you get with the entire Word of God, you'll see, you know, you may refer to a concordance. Concordance is where you can find every word in the Bible used for faith. But you will find that the concordance is here through the Holy Spirit. And when I'm, when I'm putting a sermon together, the Holy Spirit is just, he's just bringing verses to my mind. 
And one verse is supporting, right, the, the, the verse that I'm teaching on. And that's, that's how we should be, again, studying the Word. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit teaches us and leads us into all truth. But how does He do that? He does that through the Word of God. So here's our, here's our, final, our, our, our final key. Simple verse, right? Again, manna. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need to live with that need to feed. The need to feed. Think about it. If you went without food, how long are you going to live before you die? How long are you going to live before you get sick? How long is it going to take before you become incredibly weak? You're not feeding on the Word of God. That's, that's exactly what happens to us. Amen? Uh, let me invite the worship team up. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your Word. And I thank you, Lord God, for the living manna. I, I don't, Lord God, ever want to take for granted. Lord, I may have 250 Bibles, Lord, in my offices. And, but there are people in, living in parts of the world, in China, in North Korea. Lord God, in, in Muslim countries. Lord God, they would, they would give their all to be able to have a Bible, a New Testament, an Old Testament. So forgive us, Lord God, when we take for granted the Scriptures. And Lord God, let us truly, Lord God, in our hearts have that, that deep-felt need to feed on your Word. I know, Lord God, that pleases you. It brings you glory. And Lord God, it gives you the opportunity to really shape us, mold us, and conform us to the very image of your Son, Jesus Christ. So this we pray this night, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. You can stand. The altars are open if you'd like to come up. Spend a few minutes quietly with the Lord. Go with somebody.
Thank you, Lord, for this night, God. We just ask your blessing as we continue in prayer and time spent, Lord, just feasting upon this word you've given us this night. May you be honored always in all we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen.